Thank you, Jerry. David, the psalmist, writes, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. He forgives all our sins. He heals all our diseases. He redeems our lives and crowns us with love and compassion. It doesn't get any better than that. You'll notice in your bulletin a couple of inserts. One is an update on Pastor Matthew. You'll notice a couple of years ago he was arrested for baptizing children. And of course in India, which is a Hindu country, that was a bad, that is kind of forbidden there. But it's an update on his court and his trial, his court case. Also you will find information on the Walk for Life. We support the Pregnancy Resource Center, which helps young people with unwanted pregnancies. We help them go through that and give birth to those children. And if you're willing to walk for life, they call it, uh, please take a um, look at your information there and fill that out and send that in. And um, I'm hoping that in a couple of weeks, uh, one of their representatives will actually be here with us. And then be sure to fill out your connection card this morning on the back if you're willing to help us out with our Easter egg hunt. It will be on Saturday, the Saturday before Easter. If you're willing to help us out with that, please check the box on the back. And if you have candy, uh, we have a uh, box in the back. Please place that candy there for the Easter egg hunt. So if you're at the store this week and you see all that candy there, pick a couple extra bags up for the church as uh, we want to have a great uh, Easter egg hunt for the children. And again, don't forget to fill out your connection card and drop it in the offering box this morning. Yeah, oh, Wayne. Yes, the Easter lilies. Thank you, Wayne. That was on here, and I forgot to mention it. We have Easter lilies. I believe they're $15 this year. And we have the uh, information. Cards are back in the foyer. Pick one up uh, before you leave today. And... Uh, we'll get those ordered. And so if you would like an Easter lily this year or e- an Easter fern, uh, let us know so we can get those ordered. And they are, the order sheets are in the back on the table there. All right, it's good to see everyone this morning. I'm going to ask Alberto to come and open us in a word of prayer. Let's uh, bow our heads and, and pray. Our Lord, we come into your presence to worship you. We are grateful for your love towards us and for all the blessings supporting to our lives. And Lord, as we lift our praises unto you, we pray that you teach us how to love you even more, Lord. Uh, lead us into your presence and prepare our hearts to hear your message. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand and sing our call to worship, Immortal, Invisible, God, Only Wise. Please stand.
Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of 1 Peter. Peter's talking about suffering and instructing uh, Jesus' followers, the disciples of Christ, to uh, how to live in the midst of these suffering times. He talks first to the older uh, older members of the, the congregation, and now he's uh, writing to the younger ones as well. Please read these words with me from 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 5. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. May God bless the reading of his word. surgery tomorrow morning and Warren will be praying for you and your surgery and for God's blessings there also Larry Ingram fell this week and broke his hip and uh, he had surgery Friday late Friday he's doing very well but keep Larry in your prayers also Joan Williams husband Richard is home on hospice Uh, Rudy Martinez was supposed to come home yesterday and haven't heard of but I believe he's home and then uh, Jane Geisler is at Willow Bend for her um, rehab. So let's keep uh, Jane in our prayers as well. Uh, those in our senior living facilities are Flo Smith, Winona Anderson, Lorraine Bellringer, and Tony Myrick. And our homebound members are Dudley Perry, Cindy Bellmeyer, and Bill Guzzi. Let's pray. Father, we praise you this morning because you are faithful. You're faithful to all your promises. You're faithful to your word. And Father, we are heirs of all your great and wonderful promises. We believe our Savior's promise that if we ask, it will be given. We seek and it will find. And when we knock, it's always open to us. So Father, help us to always be mindful that when we come to you, you hear our prayers. And this morning we come with empty arms and humble hearts asking for a measure of your grace. We do lift up those in our church family who need your healing touch And Father, we pray that you'll give doctors and surgeons and others the skill in preparing and making all those wonderful medications and things that you have given us the knowledge to have to work. And Father, we pray for the men and women who serve in our military. We pray for Omar Silva, Sean Carnes, Colin Graves, Abner Mauricio, Tyler McCarty Cogis, Joshua Davis, Nathan Hayes, Colby Hayes, Devin Guzman, Matilda Pritchett, and Jason Maxey. And Father, we pray for our police officers and firefighters and other first responders for their safety, their protection, and Father, provide for them. We're thankful for them helping to make our community a better place and a safer place. Father, we pray that you will help us to serve others. Help us to use the gifts, the talents, and the skills to help in serving others and you as well. 
Father, empower us to work harder, to serve faithfully, to labor diligently and press on in these days in which we are living. And we pray for all the people of Ukraine. Father, we pray especially for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Provide for their needs and protect them from the dangers. And Father, we pray that as we gather here today, Father, we pray that you will fill us with your presence. For we've come to meet with you. We've come to know your purpose, to experience your love, to to be reminded of your promises, and to experience your grace and goodness. So Father, work in us a faith that is steadfast and strong. And we ask that you will receive our worship this morning. For we ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For our communion hymn, let us sing, Grace Greater Than Our Sin. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, the grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt, yonder is
as we partake of the bread and the cup, we are reminded of the price that Christ paid to ransom us, to redeem us from our sins. And that was his own life, his own blood. Our communion script is in the book of Mark, chapter 10, verse 45. And it reads, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died upon the cross, taking our rightful sin punishment, we do not presume, presume to come to your table trusting in our own righteousness, but in your mercy. Thank you for this gift of grace that we could never earn on our own through good works. We thank you for Jesus' sacrifice on the cross that paved the way for us to join you in eternal life. Forgive our transgressions, cleanse our hearts, and put a new spirit within us. Make us aware of the presence of our living Lord, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The love of the Lord is wondrous, awe-inspiring, and really beyond our full comprehension. Please join us in singing amazing love and worshiping our Lord for his love that he gave to us through his son Jesus. Mm -hmm. 
scripture is from Luke chapter 6 verses 37 through 38. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Uh, Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you have plans for us that are for our good and your glory. You said, give and it will be given to you. For in the same measure as you give, it will be given to you again. We give to you today as a response to your goodness to us. And we ask that you receive our offerings and and continue to supply all of our needs. 
May your peace be in our hearts, your grace be in our words, your love be in our hands, and your joy be in our souls. Jesus, in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. It's page 715 in the Pew Bible. 715 in the Pew Bible. Mark chapter 9, and we're going to begin at verse number 33. Mark 9, 33, and we'll work our way through verse number 50. Mark 9, 33, page 715. In the Pew Bible, we're going to look at who is the greatest. Mark 9, verse 33. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. And then he took a child and had him stand among them. And then taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little ones, these little children in my name, welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Teacher, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name and well, we told him to stop. Because he's not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. No one does a miracle in my name can in this next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth. Anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. And if anyone causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin... It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands and go to hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter uh, life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. For there, for there the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other. Let's pray. Father, as we move into this passage of Scripture today, certainly in, we ask that you'll uh, enlighten our hearts and our minds to understand what it is you're looking for in us 
as your people, your servants, your children, that we might be more like you and pleasing in your eyes. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, um, the world and the church um, differ on a lot of subjects. But none, I think, as, uh, as much as, this, as the answer to this question right here. What is true greatness? The world measures greatness uh, by applause. The world measures greatness by accolades, by uh, success and popularity. Uh, for example, in the sporting world. The sporting world measures greatness by how many championships do you have? In the business world, the, the business world measures greatness by uh, what is your profit margin? In academics, the, the, the academic world measures greatness by uh, how many degrees do you have? Well, in today's passage, Jesus is going to give us his definition of greatness. Now, the disciples, Jesus and the disciples, they've been way up in the northern part of Israel. And they're making a journey south toward Jerusalem. And they stop in the town of Capernaum. And Jesus has been talking about that he's going to Jerusalem, but he's going there to be crucified. But they're not listening. It's, it's going right over their head. They think, in their mind, Jesus is going to Jerusalem to establish the kingdom. And in every kingdom, every kingdom has structure. It has a hierarchy to it. And this is what's foremost on their mind right now. Because in every kingdom, you have, you have people at the top, you have people in the middle, and you have people at the bottom. In every kingdom, there are people with, with status. There are people with no status or, or very little status. And people with no status. And on the front forefront of their mind is, we want to be at the top. We want to be the people who have the most status. And so Jesus is going to explain to them what it really means to be great. How do we measure greatness? And by the way, no, no other opinion matters really when it comes to what it means to be a great person in God's eyes than that of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at greatness as it is measured in our relationship with Christ. We're going to look at greatness as it is measured in our relationship with others, each other. And then we're going to look at greatness as it is measured in our relationship with ourselves. All right, let's look at the first point. Greatness as it is measured in our relationship with Jesus. All right, Jesus and the disciples have stopped in Capernaum. This is where Peter lives and many of the other disciples live in this area. So they've stopped probably for a couple days. And Jesus, he kind of, he, he calls them around himself and he says, Hey, what were you guys arguing about on the road here? Now he knows what they were arguing about. He's trying to draw some kind of a confession out of them. But they say, they say nothing. And you know why they say nothing? Because it's embarrassing. They were arguing over who's going to be the greatest when they get to Jerusalem and Jesus sets up his kingdom. And they're embarrassed about that. And th what they were doing, really, they were jockeying for a position. They were uh, wrestling with who's going to be the top dog when we get to Jerusalem and the kingdom is established. Now this is, this is very telling. 
it's very revealing. What it, what it tells us is that the disciples have bought into the world's definition of greatness. They have dialed into the world's understanding of greatness. You see, in the world, greatness comes to those who wrestle for it, who struggle for it, who fight for it. Greatness comes to those who outwork, outperform, outdo everybody else. That's how you get to the top. You wrestle for it and you fight for it. Even have to step on people to get there. And the disciples have bought into the world's definition of greatness. And that's, you know, they, they are definitely not on the same page as Jesus. And, and you would think that they would know what greatness is because they have been walking with Jesus for three years. And not once during those years did Jesus ever use his authority and his power to advance himself. He always used his power and his authority, and nobody had more power and authority than Jesus. He always used it to advance others. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He freed the captives. Everywhere Jesus went, he served people. He advanced them. So where, you know, they, this whole idea that greatness is advancing to the top and letting others serve you is totally contrary to everything they have watched in the life of Christ. In fact, Jesus even said, the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. I mean, think about this. Who was it that wrapped a towel around their waist, took a basin of water, and went around and washed all the disciples' feet? It was Jesus. Now granted, all right, chronologically it hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen here in a few weeks, but it hasn't happened yet. But this was, this was the hub of his ministry. It was a ministry of serving others. But this is not how the disciples saw greatness. And that's what prompts Jesus to give his definition of what it really means to be a great person. And I'm going to tell you, his definition is, is the most upside-down, inside-out definition you'll ever hear. Let's take a look at it. Here's the second thing we're going to look at. Greatness and our relationship with others. Jesus says, if anybody wants to be first, you have to be the last and the servant of all. Is that not the most upside-down, inside-out thing you've ever heard? If you want to be first, you have to be last. If you want to be great, you have to be small. Because greatness, Jesus says, greatness in my opinion, greatness in my kingdom, that belongs to those who serve the least and serve the last. It's those who have a servant attitude towards others. Greatness is serving and it's, and by the way, these are, these are words that had never been spoken before. No one had ever even thought of this before. Jesus, he, he's pioneering something new. And yet it has caught on to some degree. You know, a number of years ago, Martin Luther King, I think he, he said it very well. He said, did you know that everybody can be great? Because everybody can serve. 
He said, you don't need a college education to be great because everybody can serve. You don't need to know Aristotle and Plato to be great. He said, you don't need to know the second law of thermodynamics to be great because all you need to be great is the heart of a servant. You know, that's, that's so opposite the world. The world. The world has a hierarchy today. But in Christianity, it's a lowarchy. All right. Now, that's not a word. I'll try to find it in the dictionary. It's not there. But it works, okay? It, Christianity is a lowarchy. John Kennedy, when he was uh, inaugurated, said, Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And I think that's what Jesus is saying here. Don't ask what others can do for you. What can you do for others? Because the measure of greatness is measured in our service to others. Greatness is serving the last and the least. Now, this definitely has personal relevance, application to all of us individually. But I want to talk for a few minutes about how this is relevant to our culture and to our day in which we are living today. You see, every society, every society has structure to it. There are those at the top, those in the middle, and those at the bottom. And every society, every every organization really, every institution has to have something called cohesion to exist. You have to have that cohesion because you have people at the top, in the middle. You have people who have great status, some status, and no status. How do you, how do you bring all these people together and how do you have cohesion in organizations, institutions, in a society where you have such a broad spectrum of people? You see, one of the problems is those at the top those who have the status, those who have the power and the authority, if they, sometimes they think, hey, I deserve it. I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I worked hard. I worked long hours. I got here and I deserve to be here. And you know what happens when people begin to think like that? People at the top, when they begin to think like that, they kind of look down on everybody else. I don't know you anything. You know, if you worked as hard as I did, you could make it to the top. You just didn't work as hard. You're just not as smart as me. They tend to look down on people below them. I don't owe you anything. I don't need to help you. You just need to help yourself. That kind of an attitude is very divisive. It creates tension within an organization. It creates tension within a society or an institution. See, only... Only when those who are at the top, only when those at the top realize that their, um, their place, their status, their gifts, their skills, their success, only when they realize that they are there by the grace of God, that's when they will look down, when they will look at others and say, you know, I should share the resources that God has blessed me with, with others. I should be more generous with others. I should be more kind with others because I am here only by the grace of God. In fact, that's when people begin at the top will say, I need to treat people as I would want them to treat me. 
And this is, this is how you create cohesion, whether it's an organization or an institution or a society. Now, I came across an article a while back. I thought it was pretty interesting. Written by a guy by the name of Andrew Delbanco. He is a, uh, he's a professor at um, Columbia University in New York. It's an Ivy League school. And he's, in this article, he's very critical of the, the elite schools, the Ivy League universities. And, and, and that's because he says that many of the students who are going there are actually being taught that they are above other universities and the students in those other universities because they were able to get in to one of the elite schools when others didn't, well, they didn't have the, the test scores or the academics to get in. And I want to read to you what he says. And by the way, this man is not a Christian. But I want to read to you what he says. He says, Our oldest and most prestigious colleges, he's talking about these Ivy League schools, he says, they are losing touch with the spirit in which they were founded. For the stringent Protestants who founded Harvard, Yale, and Princeton, the mark of salvation was not high self-esteem, but a humbling awareness of one's lowliness in God's eyes. Such awareness came, uh, with such awareness came the recognition that those whom God favors are granted grace, not for any worthiness of their own, but by God's unmerited mercy, as a gift to be converted into working and living on behalf of others. That lesson should always be part of the curriculum. Our leading colleges could use a little more of their old-time religion and begin taking seriously the Christian virtues of charity and humility. I thought that was fascinating. And then, here's something else I came across. Benjamin Franklin, I don't think he was a Christian, but he founded the University of Pennsylvania. Here's what he said about education. True education is an inclination joined with, the ability, with an ability to serve mankind, to serve one's country, one's friends and family, which should indeed be the great aim and the end of all learning. In other words, what is the purpose of education? To serve, to serve others. And, and that's, that's really what Jesus is teaching us. He's teaching us to serve. The Christian gospel taught those young people 200 years ago when they were attending those unique, those um, uh, elite schools, it taught them that they were there not because they merited it or earned it or deserved it. They were there because of God's grace. And therefore, one of the, we, we, we must never think of ourselves that somehow we're better than anyone else. Because the bottom line is, it is, we are who we are by the grace of God. Now, I say all that to say this. Christianity is the only religion that helps keep a society, that gives a society cohesion, that gives an institution cohesion, that gives an organization cohesion. When you build 
a society on Christian values and Christian principles, when you build uh, an institution or an organization or a business, when you build it on Christian principles, Christian values, you will have cohesion. Because you will have those at the top realizing we're here by the grace of God and they're using that as a means of serving and using those gifts to serve and better others. But, and by the way, here in America, think about our country. For many, many years, people came from all over the world to come here and we were, there was cohesion, there was unity. And that was because for many years, this nation valued Christian principles. But what has happened in recent years? What has happened is we have abandoned those Christian values and those Christian principles. And where are we today? Fractured. We are divided. We are polarized more than at any other time in our history. And it is because we have been abandoning Christian values and Christian principles. Christian values and Christian principles, like the ones that Jesus taught, are good for our country. They're good for our society. They're good for business. They're good for, they're good for our, our educational system. Let, let me give you an example. Can I give you one example? All right. In 1963, the Supreme Court removed Bible and prayer from our public schools. How's it working for us? I mean, we have, cha- we have exchanged the Bible for bullets, really, is what it comes. How's it working for us? Christian values, Christian principles, like those that Jesus taught right here, serving each other, reaching up and helping one another, and understanding that who we are is by the grace of God. These are the things that make a country, an educational system, a business, a good, cohesive unit. Well, anyway, so much for that. Let's move on, all right? I've said my piece. (laughs) Notice what Jesus does next, all right? Verse number 37. He takes a little child in his arms. And he says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Now, in that culture, children uh, did not really didn't have the place that children have today in our culture. In, in that culture, children were the, le, the least and the last of any of their society. And that is because, because children couldn't produce anything. It wasn't until they could uh, work around the home and work out in the fields and learn a trade that they were really considered valuable and important. Because children in that culture... They had no power, no resources, no influence. And therefore, they were kind of the bottom rung of society. And Jesus says, you measure greatness by the measure to which you serve those that have no status. They're at the bottom of the... You measure greatness by the measure of your service to those who are on the same level as little children. And you know that is so contrary to the world that we live in today. Because in the world today, you know what? We, we gravitate. We congregate to those that have power. 
to those that can open doors for us, to those that um, um, can help us get what we want. We gravitate toward them. And at the same time, we tend to screen out people who are getting in our way. And what Jesus says, true greatness, true greatness doesn't screen out people who are, who are kind of in our way of, you know, getting where we want to be. True greatness is engaging people, regardless of where they are in our society. We welcome them, we open up to them, and we show them the same respect and dignity that we would show to, to anybody. Well, at this point, John, he thinks he needs to speak up, all right? And uh, he does. He puts his foot in his mouth. <laughs> he says, you know, he says, Lord, you know, we came across a guy who was out there casting out demons and, and uh, in your name. And, and you know what, Lord, we told him to stop it because he's not one of us. Now, evidently, John and probably the other disciples, you know, they're, they're the closest ones to Jesus, and they think they're the elite. You know, they're the elite eight. I mean, I don't know where that came from. The, they're the elite 12, all right? And everybody else has to kind of come to them for any kind of, uh, you know, a permission to do anything. And they were not shy about exercising, you know, a little bit of power and authority. And, you know... When you think about it, I mean, this whole issue of hierarchy and status, uh, it's so ingrained, even in the disciples, that after three years of being with Jesus, they're still struggling with it. They're still, stri- they're still seeing that it's how you get to the top that matters the most. By the way, notice how Jesus addresses this. He, uh, he's going to resume his re-educational program, all right? Uh, by the way, that's just a nice, nice way of saying he's going to put them on a growth program. Verse number 39, Jesus says, don't stop them. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us, you know. So he puts them on a growth program to help them out. Because greatness is measured not in, uh, well, great, greatness is measured in the measure of our service to others. All right, now let, let's bring us to the last thing we want to look at. Third, greatness. And let's look at greatness and our relationship with ourselves. <laughs> Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell. Now, Don't panic, all right? Don't panic. This is not to be understood literally. This is, we call this a hyperbole. Hyperboles are exaggerated statements that are meant to grab your attention and not to be taken literally. Jesus, he's speaking figuratively here that there are some things that are in our lives that we need to separate from us because they're not good for us. There are sins that we need we need to separate from. There are sinful influences that we need to separate ourselves from. And and let's, and greatness greatness is the humility that will acknowledge yes, there are some things in my life that I need to uh, I need to cut loose of. There are some shortcomings. We all have our moments. 
We're all sinners. We all have our shortcomings. And, and what Jesus is saying here is, don't make excuses. Don't get defensive. Be humble enough to say, I've got some problems, I've got some issues, and I need to deal with them. Because the measure of our greatness, really, is the measure of our humility to the point where we're willing to be honest with ourselves. I've got some things I need to address. Let me give you an example. The Apostle Peter. All right. He did something that was unthinkable. Remember what he did? Unthinkable. He denied the Lord. Denied the Lord three different times. In fact, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record the fact that he denied the Lord. But they all three also record that he was deeply, deeply remorseful about that. And here's the wonderful thing about it. After the resurrection, remember, Jesus comes to Peter personally, one-on-one. And he asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Three times. Why? Why three times? He denied the Lord three times. You see, the Lord was leading Peter back. And here's the point I want to make. And Peter acknowledged he had failed. He had shortcomings. He had an issue with pride. And he was willing to confess it, be honest, humble enough to open up to it. And the Lord said, I'm going to bring you back. And Peter, this, Peter was the biggest screw-up. But at the same time, he became, he went on to become the greatest leader. His screw-up was the biggest. His repentance was the deepest. His ga- grasp of God's grace was the largest. And he went on to become the greatest of all the apostles. It was Peter who preached that sermon on Pentecost. And, and 3,000 were saved. It was Peter who goes on to preach and, and or, uh, to, to write two of the books in the New Testament and really take the gospel to the Jewish people. Peter is really an example of God's grace. When, we're, when we are willing to humble ourselves and acknowledge our shortcomings and failures, God's grace takes over. In fact, nothing prepares us for greatness more than God's grace covering our failures. So here's what I want us to take home with us today. Three things. One thing. The measure of our greatness is the measure of our service to others. That's all Jesus is trying to get across. The measure of our greatness really is the measure of our service to others. Now, one more thing. Matthew, in his gospel, he adds this. He says, tell, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of, of heaven. And his point is this. We have to be humble enough to acknowledge, I need help. I need a Savior. If I don't have a Savior, I'm in trouble. And you know what? Are you humble like a child, willing to acknowledge I need the Lord. Because I'm not good enough. I'm not going to make it on my own. I need his help. If you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, the first step to becoming truly great in God's eyes is humbling yourself, acknowledging I need a Savior. And from there, it is simply taking on that spirit of servanthood. 
I want to be a servant for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word that reminds us that greatness, your, in your, your view, Father, you're great. The, the only view that matters, greatness, is certainly not what the world considers great. Greatness is serving. Help us, Father, to, to have that servant heart. And if there's anyone who's never come to faith in Christ, now I pray that today will be that day. They will turn their heart over to him. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand as we sing our closing hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be. someone this morning the elders are here I'll be up front as well feel free to come up and pray with us today or if you have any need on your heart let's have a closing prayer father we thank you for uh, your grace uh, toward us and while we were yet sinners you came and Christ came and died for us and thank you father help us to have that servant spirit as Christ demonstrated in his own life now may the Lord bless you and keep you May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he lift up his countenance upon you and bring you peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, how he loves you and me. What more could he give? Oh, how he loved you. Oh, how he loved me. How he loved you and me.